Yeah. Well, hey, we're glad to have you this weekend at Stone Point Church, and we want to welcome those that are joining us online as well as the Edgewood campus. Uh, we are grateful that you're here. And uh, over the last few weeks, uh, we have been in a series called The Road Less Traveled. And if you're here for the very first time, we've been talking about camels. Uh, matter of fact, Jesus said, uh, it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle or a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, let me correct it, okay? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so over the last few weeks, we've, we've talked about what it was that Jesus had a, an issue with when it came to this, this young man who was Jewish and who'd kept the law and had done all that he thought he should do when he approached Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, in week one, a couple of weeks ago, we realized that what Jesus was trying to help this young man see is that Jesus doesn't have a problem with wealth, but he had a problem with misplaced worship. When wealth is a priority above God, then it's a problem. Matter of fact, it's not just money, it's anything, any relationships, any of our jobs, any of our hopes, any of our aspirations, any of our dreams. If any time those things have a higher priority in our life than God does, then it's called idolatry. And Jesus has a problem with idolatry. Matter of fact, God has a problem, and he made that very clear in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, that we should have no other gods before him. And then last week, we began to look at this idea, if, if riches aren't a problem, then what does Jesus really want us to do? And here's what we, he wants. He wants us to put him in the proper place, and when we do so, he wants us to live with contentment, meaning he wants us to be satisfied with what it is that we have. And the only way we do that is if we quit comparing ourselves to every single person around us. Matter of fact, last week we said contentment, what? Uh, or, or when, when you have comparison, when comparison begins, contentment ends. So when comparison begins, contentment ends. When we start looking around to everybody else, then we can throw contentment out the window. And so we need to enjoy what God's given us. We need to realize that acquiring wealth in this life is not all that this life is about. Matter of fact, we love investments as Americans, but the greatest investments we'll ever make are eternal ones, ones that will far outlive ourselves. And Jesus warns us that we should seek first after his kingdom and that his righteousness will be added to us. The idea there is this, is that we shouldn't build our wealth and our priorities on things where thieves break in and destroy and where uh, moths and rust destroy. And so we just need to make sure that we're building into something that will far outlast us. And so over the last couple of weeks, we talked about we shouldn't trust the camel, okay? Uh, last week, we talked about how we, uh, we train the camel as opposed to letting the camel train us. And today we're gonna talk about how to ride the camel. Basically, the idea is this. Jesus says that he's not opposed to wealth, right? He is opposed when wealth is the priority. And so if Jesus isn't opposed to wealth and he talks about wealth quite a bit, the question is, how do we build wealth? And it doesn't come down to money. A lot of us in here, we go, I'm really having a hard time building wealth because I'm just not rich. But according to two weeks ago, everyone in here is rich. Matter of fact, we are, I would say with confidence, most of us in here are in the top 1% of the world's wealth. If you make over $32,000 or if you own a vehicle of any kind, you are among the most wealthy people in the world. And so how do we, how do, we do that? Well, today we're going to dive in and uh, I'm glad that you're here. If you're here and you're like, oh no, we showed up on a Sunday where he's talking about money. We're glad you're here. <laughs> and uh, we, we hope that you realize that uh, it's not about what we want from you, but it's about what God wants for you. And uh, I hope that 
by the end of the day, you'll say with confidence um, that, that we're trying to invest in your family and your life with no strings attached. We're not asking for anything for you. So for you in here that you're like, oh, every time I go to church or talk about money, hey, go ahead and take heart. I'm not asking for anything other than your credit card number, okay? Uh, I'm just kidding, okay? Um, Real quickly, before we dive in, which we're gonna do so hard here in just a second, I wanna take just a a quick second. I wanna remind both campuses about a couple of things uh, that are happening. Number one uh, is this last week, something significant happened, uh, and it was the seven-year anniversary of Stone Point Church. So on April 17th, we turned seven, okay? Maybe you're a first or a second time guest and you're like, that's kind of cool, but it's not that big of a deal. Well, listen, uh, it's a really big deal to me because when we first started, I didn't know if we'd make it seven months, okay? Um, And so the fact that we're here seven years later and we have seen God do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine isn't a really cool thing. And we thank you for making uh, this happen because the church is not about a pastor, it's about a people. It's not about a building we come to, but it's about a people that we are as we leave and we go and we be the church. And so thank you for making Stone Point a church, a people um, that make a difference. Uh, And we're blessed by you. Kelly and I are blessed by you. And we thank you for what you've done to make our dreams possible. Um, Secondly, is one of the greatest things we celebrate uh, is not our anniversaries, but what makes Stone Point special. And I'll tell you what makes Stone Point special is not merely the service projects we do or the uh, people that we give to and need. The one thing that makes it really special is I've never been a part of a church in all my years of growing up and all my years of serving in churches and ministry that have had as number of life changes as we have here. I've never seen so many people come to faith in Jesus and walk out their faith publicly as we have here. And it's just been a really cool thing to see over 350 plus people in the last handful of years come to Jesus. And uh, in two weeks from now, uh, we're going to be celebrating uh, our baptism celebration. So baptism celebration, if you're a first time guest, or maybe you've been here and you've never uh, really been, it's a lot of fun. And so what we do is we gather on the Wills Point campus in the South Lawn, and we have barbecue, and we have uh, bounce houses, and we uh, have footballs and frisbees, and we, we sing together, and we celebrate life change together, and it's just a really cool thing. And here's what I want to just go ahead and, and tell you real quickly. Two things. Number one, do not use that time to plant flowers in your garden when you can see an amazing transformation take place. For those of you that have celebrated your faith publicly here, remember a time where people came and celebrated with you. Don't minimize what that Sunday is. It's not about bounce houses and barbecue as much as it is about baptism, a new life in Jesus. And so we should celebrate that. So mark it on your calendars two weeks from now. (laughs) Secondly, if you're here and you have never followed Jesus publicly with your faith, meaning you've, you've given your life to Jesus, but you need to go public with your faith in baptism, then that's a great time for you to do that. So you can, do, you can sign up in two ways. One, you can use a communication card, one of the cards in your seat. You can write on the back in really big, bold letters, I would like to talk about baptism. Write it really big because I'm blind. Um, and so any help that you can give me is great. Um, and so write that on there. Secondly, you can go to events.stonepointchurch.com and you can sign up online. And we would love to have a conversation with you. And we would love to celebrate with, with you in a couple of weeks. Uh, we had several people come to faith in Jesus at our Easter services, and we look forward to seeing them go public with their faith in Jesus. But listen, anybody that's here that you would like to go public, we would love to bless you with that. Amen? Okay, so can we just praise God for today, and, uh, and then we'll dive in. Amen?
So when it comes to this idea of wealth and money, uh, I realize that it makes us a little bit uneasy. And uh, it makes us a little uneasy uh, because uh, we, we don't necessarily like to talk about it. And the reason we don't like to talk about it is because we think that we're financially secure and that we're, we're good, right? No, that's, we honestly uh, just don't always believe the best about the churches we've attended. Uh, meaning that uh, we have believed that when it comes to money issues and things that Jesus talks so much about that we think that the church somehow wants to manipulate us for our money. Uh, the only reason we're talking about it is not because of something that we want from you, but it's something we want for you. Jesus talked a third of his teachings about wealth, money, and possessions. And if he spent a third of his teachings, of all the things the God of the universe in flesh could say, and he spent that much time talking about this, and I think we probably should too. And so here's what I want you to realize, that throughout your Bible, there are two major themes. Two major themes that begin uh, in Genesis and go all the way through the book of Revelation. And you're going to find these themes, and they're going to run congruently all the way through the Old Testament. The Old Testament's about a nation called Israel, and it's about out of that nation coming the hope of the world, a Messiah that will bless all the nations, and his name's Jesus. Then in the New Testament, what you get to is you get the good news about the person of Jesus, about what he did. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus worked his way down to us when we could not work our way to God. So religion says, hey, why don't we do our best to work our way to God? And, and God says, no, you can't do that. Matter of fact, you remember, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, the rich young ruler said, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And here's what you need to realize. He had, he had two things in there. One was right and one was wrong. He says, good teacher. And then Jesus replies, why do you call me good teacher? Is there anything in this world that's good except for God alone? And that's where the guy had it right. He was talking to God in the flesh. But then he said, good teacher, what must I do? And that's where he had it wrong. And so here's what you need to realize. The gospels are the good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that when you and I could do nothing to get to God, God did everything to get to you and I. And so we owe a debt that we could never pay and he paid the debt that we owe. And he did so on the cross, working his way towards us to offer this one theme that is really congruent all throughout your Bible. And it's the theme of salvation. That's one of two major themes, salvation. God offering himself to people who would walk by faith, not by sight in this world of a mystery, a mystery meaning how in the world would God do such a thing for us in our human condition? While our hearts are awry, while we're full of sin, why would God work to us? And here's why, because he loves you. And he wants to give you a new life in his son, Jesus. Salvation. Then the other one is not just salvation, but it's this idea of what God wants after salvation. And it's in, it's in the realm of your faith and in your life and in everything you do along with it happens to be the same idea of finances, stewardship, et cetera. And that is indeed stewardship. So you have salvation and you have stewardship. So God says, I wanna offer you a free gift through my son, Jesus. Then I want you to come and I want you to follow me. What's interesting is the reason that the rich young man didn't follow him is because he had put his faith and hope in wealth and prosperity. And Jesus just says, I don't have a problem with wealth. I just have a problem with the worship of wealth. And so he says, hey, I want you to take and I want you to give your stuff to the poor and come follow me. That's what he said to this rich, young, Jewish, good looking man. And the guy goes away sad, according to the gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke, all of them say that he walked away sad. And here's why, is because he wanted salvation, but he didn't want stewardship. 
He basically says, God, I want stuff from you, but I don't want to live for you. Okay, yeah, I mean, I want stuff from you, but I don't want to live for you. Matter of fact, I think, okay, this is an extra bonus to you. I think one of the greatest tragedies happening in the American church is how we teach people about Jesus and a new life with him. And here's what we tell our kids. Son, you don't want to go to hell, do you? I mean, why, after all, wouldn't you love streets of gold and crystal seas? And wouldn't you love to be with God in heaven forever? So why don't you pray this prayer and follow Jesus now? Now, let me ask you a question. What are we teaching our kids to do? We're teaching them to follow a God who gives possessions. It's not about a relationship with the Father. It's about what the Father gives us. Matter of fact, there's a lot of us in here in this room that we look back and when we were 10, we go, there's nothing really that significantly changed in my life. And the reason why is because you, you believed in God based off of what he gives you. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, leave everything you know behind, follow me, and then become a steward. Manage the resources and the time and the talents of the treasures that I've given you. And that's the common theme throughout your Bible. And so here's the deal. How do we do that? Like, how do we begin to live in, as stewards of what God's given us? How do we begin to walk in this new life in Jesus, the salvation he's offered, and then stewarding that well? Well, listen, it's not just about money. It's about everything. It's about relationships. It's about who God is. Remember, last week we learned that God's not interested in us acquiring possessions and wealth as much as he is building relationships with the people. It's not about possessions, it's about people. It's not about riches, it's about relationships. You got that? So how do we steward it all well? Here's how you do it. Number one, if you're going to ride the camel, you got to realize that God is the source of everything. He is our source. He is our hope. He is our strength. He is our refuge. He's our strong tower. He is our uh, wisdom. He is our direction. He is our hope. He is our influence. He is our guide. He is our spirit that walks before us. He is the lamp that lights our path. He is all things. He is the source of all things. He is the source of your salvation. He is the source of your transformation. And he is the source of your ability to do anything at all, period. He is God. Can I get an amen? amen? He is God. He is the source of all things. And he is even the source of your wealth. He is the source of your, your ability. And you go, well, well, okay, if he's the source of my, my wealth, then why have I worked so hard? I mean, don't, don't discount what I've done. Now, listen, I get that. I think that's a good argument, okay? But I want you to realize this. The last time I checked, According to our Bible, if God offers salvation, it means that he recreated your heart. Your heart was once gone awry. It was in sin and filth and shame, and he recreated it, right? Listen, catch this huge theme in your Bible when it comes to salvation. The only God who can recreate something was the one who created something in the first place. Now, why is that important? because he created you, right? If he created you, then it means that he's the source of even the breath that you take. He's the source of everything you have, not just what you own. It's not, it, he's the source of everything. And so if he's the source of everything, then we need to heed the warning of what he gave to the people of Israel. He called them out as a nation and then he spoke to them. And in Deuteronomy chapter eight, this is what he says to them when it had to do with toiling and laboring and working diligently. In verse uh, 17 and 18 of Deuteronomy chapter eight, he says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. 
So he says to the people of Israel, okay, in context, he goes, hey, just be careful that you realize that you didn't make yourself into a great nation. Just remember who called you out of Ur of the Chaldeans and made you into a great nation. That was me. That was me through your father, Abraham. And so I'm the one who's gonna bless you. I'm gonna the one that's gonna do all these things for you. Just remember that you didn't become the nation of Israel on your own power. I did that. Why should we pay attention? Listen, you and I are blessed. We are among the most wealthy people in the world, but you need to realize where that wealth come from. You're like my, my granddad. No, 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 no. It came from the source of which owns all wealth. The creator of the world, Colossians 1. Everything that you see and know, both visible and invisible, was created by God and for God through his son, Jesus. Jesus creates it all. Why? Because he can recreate it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the source. He's got your bank account. He gave it to you. You're like, no, come on. Yes, he did. That's what the scriptures tell us, right? But here's what I want you to catch. Though he gives it to you, there's a reason. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So here's what it is. God is our source, meaning every breath that you take, God gives you. For some of us this morning, we wake up and we're like, oh, praise Jesus, I got another day. Like his mercies are new today. He gave that to you, okay? And for most of us in our mind, we don't have a problem with that until for some reason it gets to your dollar. Like, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh no. No, he gave it to you. He's the source of it all. But here's what I want you to see. He gives you not necessarily the wealth, but the ability to produce wealth. Look at it. My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. That's what you're you could say, but you shall remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. He, the Lord gives who? What's the the word there? Uh, I know it's confusing, isn't it? God is the source, but he gives you. He gives you the ability to produce wealth. So you mean he gives me the ability to work with my hands? You better believe it. So what he's saying is I created your hands, but I gave you the ability to produce wealth. So who produces wealth, God or you? You. See, this is where it gets confusing. God does not produce wealth, God owns wealth. He gives you the ability to produce wealth. You know how you produce wealth? You work, you work, a common theme. You work. God has given us the fullness, therefore, of his power and his strength, and he is the source of all things. And then we steward and we work for all the things that he's given us. Now, we don't work for salvation. That's a free gift. But once we have salvation, we steward the life that we have. We steward our relationship to him, and we steward all the wealth that he gives us the ability to produce. Wow. You mean we have to work to produce wealth? That's a huge theme through your Bible. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter three, what you have was you have two people who are working the garden when they were deceived. You mean to tell me that they weren't laying on the side of a beach somewhere eating some fruit? No, God created us to work in the garden. Adam and Eve were to work. They were to rule over all the fish of the air, or, or all the fish of the air, all the birds of the air, all the fish of the sea, all the animals that moved along the ground. He is there to work. They are to multiply and fill the earth. They are the vice regents of God. They are his to work and enjoy all the benefits of the, but they are to steward it well. They are to work. And then all of a sudden, because of their sin problem, because of the fact that they were deceived, because they wanted to be gods in their own eyes, 
guess what? Now they're not just working, but they are booted out of the Garden of Eden. And now all the work that they will experience now will be toil and labor. and It'll be hardship full of thorns and thistles. And honestly, work will stink. It's no fun getting up on Monday morning and going to work. Why? Because work is not what it used to be. But work originally was a blessing. We worked and God gave us the ability to steward. It's no different now. He gives you the ability to work, but it's not an enjoyment. Wealth is difficult to produce because it means that you have to use the hands in which God created to produce wealth. He is the source of wealth. He is the source of all things, but you and I work diligently to produce it. Just an extra bonus for you. When you get to heaven you're not going to be an angel floating on clouds playing a harp. It's not what heaven is. What heaven is, is a place in which God dwells. It's not about crystal sea. It's not about gold streets as much as it is the God of heaven who is our source. There is no heaven because of gold streets and crystal seas if God the source is not there. I am convinced that you don't need gold or crystal seas to have heaven. Why? Because God is our source. Parents, teach your kids to love God, not heaven. Teach your kids to love the father who produces all things, not the things he produces. Quit duping them. Quit being duped. Heaven's not about angels and beings and harps and gold streets. It's about a God, a father who loves us and made a way for us. So love the father and not the father's possessions. Remember, it's not about riches. It's about relationships. It starts with a relationship with a God who produced all things for you and I. And if he produced all things for us to steward or to manage well, then the question is, is how do we do that? Well, you put him first, okay? And so God's the source of all things. And if we want him to bless all things, we put him first. You know, what do I mean by that? Well, here's the deal. So you already know that I'm gonna be talking about putting God first, right? So you're going, oh, here it goes. Okay, no, no, let's just start with your marriage. If you want your marriage to work, you want it to be a blessing, you're gonna steward that relationship well with your spouse, then guess what? God has to be first. If, if God is not first in your marriage, guess what? Your marriage will most likely crumble. It will have a very difficult time. Why? Because if you want God to bless something as the source and the hope of that relationship, guess what? God's gotta be first in it. Yeah, I mean, you're having a hard time going to work tomorrow, right? Because it's, it's laborious and it's tough and you're like not looking forward to it, right? I mean, here's the deal. You want God to bless your work? Guess, guess what? Put him first in it. Every relationship, everything that you do, if you want God to bless it, your business, your work, your relationships, your marriage, put him first. Well, guess what? It doesn't change when it comes to wealth and possessions. If you want God to bless you, then you got to put him first. And so he tells us this throughout our, our Bible. Matter of fact, in Proverbs, you're going to see him address it in Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10. And the writer of Proverbs here just says, on the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your obedience. Okay, everybody here, I'm going to read again. I want, you to, I want you to say with me what we're to honor God with, okay? On the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. I know that's really difficult. Let's try it one more time. And not because of you guys on the Wills Point campus, but Edgewood was not participating. So here it is. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits. If you want God to honor you, then you got to honor him and you honor him with the first fruits of your produce. 
Verse 10 says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's an if-then scenario. If you honor God, he says, then I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. And you go, why? Why, He's going to bless me because that's what I owe? No, no, no. It's not prosperity. Prosperity says that I'm going to manipulate the maker to get more money. If I have enough faith in God and I do these things, I drop $100, he's going to give me $200. No, that's not how it works. The reason I honor God is because I want him to bless what I have. And all I want from God is this. I want more seeds so I can scatter to more, more soil. See, prosperity teaching says, I want to give to God as the source first so that he'll give back so I can build bigger barns, bigger houses, bigger palaces. I can make more of my name. Well, listen, God always has a problem with you and I making a name for ourselves. It started in Genesis 11 when they built the Tower of Babel. Oh, come let us make a name for ourselves. Listen, God has a problem when you make a name for yourself. Why? Because there's only one name to be bestowed among all names, and his name is Jesus. He goes, put me first as a source, and then give to me as if your hope is truly reliant on me. Malachi 3.10 would say it this way, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Now, there it is. There's the word tithe, which, in which you've heard the church talk about before, and it's called the It's a tenth. It's a tenth of all that you have bring into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. The only time in all of my Bible and all of your Bible that God says, put me to the test in and it comes down to the tithe. It comes down to putting God first in the first fruits. He says, put me to the test in this. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is more need. Now you're here and you might know your Bible pretty well and you go, Okay, listen, I get this. We should put God first in our wealth. But last time I checked, we're into a new covenant and we don't have to live by the old covenant. And so a tithe is no longer a thing. Well, listen, I I could get there. Okay, that's cool. Maybe you go, I I think tithe's Old Testament principle. That's great. Jesus, he always did something amazing. He took an Old Testament principle and he he kind of expounded on it. For instance, he goes, hey, if you think that murdering someone's wrong, he goes, anytime that you hate your enemy, it's like murder. Hold on, do what? Or he said it this way when it came to your giving. He goes, hey, if you own two tunics, take and give one away. So what you're saying is he just said 50% of your wealth. Yeah, he did. He just did that. Uh, and then he says to the rich young ruler in the camel story, he goes, I want you to go give all your money and follow me. Now, I don't know about you. 50% is quite a large number. 100% is even more significant. I'll take the 10 Just be careful to not try to put God into some standard that makes you feel better about your giving. I will tell you this, and I want you to hear it. I believe wholeheartedly the tithe is not the end of our giving, it's the beginning. If we, have, if we believe that God truly is the source of all that we own and all that we have, then we are stewards of that, then we should put him first. And for some of us in here, that's a challenge. And here's why it's always a challenge. And there's two reasons. You ready for them? There's two reasons. One of them has to do with God and the other one has to do with me. Okay, one of them has to do with God and the other one has to do with me. So here's, here's what I want you to understand. Ultimately, both, whether you have a problem with God or you have a problem with me are trust issues. Okay, and so here, here's what I mean. <laughs> I ain't going to that church because... All the pastor wants is my money, okay? Remember, it's not about what God wants from you. It's what he wants for you. So I'm gonna just go ahead and say the same. It's not 
Today's message and this series of messages is not about what I want from you, it's what I want for you. Basically, what what we see throughout the scriptures is that God is our salvation. He is our source of stewardship. Why would I not, if I love you, teach you how to steward effectively? Like it would be a shame for me to get up here on a message on a Sunday morning and manipulate you to give more money to our our church. That's craziness. Matter of fact, all I'm doing is trying to help you to steward God's resource as well. And there's two things standing in the way of you not only believing that God is the source, but you putting him first in it. One of them is your trust with God. So he has clearly said, hey, what would it look like if you bring your first fruits to me and allow me to bless you? What would it look like if you trust God enough to say, I'm going to give you what you're asking for, and then I'm going to ask you to teach me to live on the rest? Wouldn't that be wise? Absolutely, it'd be wise to follow God. Why? Because if you want God to bless something, you put him first. It's the same in your marriage, your relationships, and your finances. And if, if, you're, if you're having a hard time with it, part of it is that you just don't trust God in it. And I've been there. I have been there. I have been in a place with the early years of our marriage. I would say the first five years that Kelly and I always gave to the churches we served in, but we didn't always give in obedience. I mean, we just really struggled with it. When we looked at the budget, we had more month than we had money. Can I get a witness? <laughs> what that means is, is that we were thankful for February. And here's why. It only had 28 days. Those days that have 31 or months that have 31 days is like, oh, I mean, I just wish I could have another February, right? We love shorter months. And here's the deal. We think in our mind, if we just didn't have this last week of the month, we would be good. We could give to the church. We could be obedient to God. But the problem is it's a trust issue. What you're saying is, is the God that's the source of all things that we see, know, and understand doesn't have the ability to bless you because you got one extra week in the month. It's not, it's not an issue between you and your checkbook or your budget. It's an issue between you and a holy God who says, I own all things and you just have to trust me in it. And it's a huge step. And I will tell you that until we were married for about six years, we, we struggled with that. We always gave the church because I didn't feel good about being on a staff and seeing a pastor know what I wasn't giving, right? So we always gave, but we didn't always give in obedience. But I'll tell you this, Kelly and I began to give with obedience. And uh, I'll tell you, we're not... We're not rich by human standards, but we're rich in mercy. Uh, We are rich in God. And I'll tell you uh, that there are conversations that we have every month where we're having to trust God. And we're having to say, look, we're either going to have to steward better. We're going to have to move some things around in our budget, or we're going to have to do something different here. But one of the things that we've never said in the last, I would say, 10 or 11 years of our marriage, we have never said, you know what, maybe we'll dip from God's, God's first fruit. We just haven't said that. And, and I'll give you a tangible example. When we started here, uh, the first year here, my salary was cut in half from coming to Dallas. Our salary was about $33,000 the first year here. It was awful, awful time. Um, but we saw the Lord bless in amazing ways. And uh, I remember we had three babies in diapers and diapers would constantly show up our door. But the greatest one is that we had a lady I'm here that she worked in the doctor's office and she was able to bring us a box of formula every month. And when I say a box, I mean a box. Like we had enough to give away to friends. Like 
We never bought formula. And it was just one of those deals. Like it wasn't a monetary blessing per se, but God just provided. And it, I didn't go, oh, wow, God, man, you're making me rich in formula. I mean, I never said that, you know? But it was a provision that we saw and God's always provided in the last seven years. And one of the greatest things is not just to see the life change that's happened, but to see how God has blessed it. And so we honor him. And I'll tell you that one of the reasons that you don't honor God is because you don't trust him. The other one though, is that you may not trust me. One of the reasons that you don't give to the, to the church is because you don't trust the leadership. You go, I, I don't know what they're doing with my money. Well, let me ask you a question. Would you rather be accountable to God or would you rather me? That's your choice. I, it doesn't make me any difference because I'm accountable for God for my money and your money, right? But here's what I want you to hear. If I am the stumbling block for you being obedient to God, here's what I ask. I ask that you start tithing. But I ask that you would tithe to another local church in our area that you believe in. I believe that you would take your first fruits and you would give somewhere that's connecting people to God, to others in service in the world, wherever that might be. That might not be their mission. And listen, continue to come here, continue to be blessed by our sermons, continue to be blessed by our music, by our groups, by our ministries, do whatever you like, but do not let one of us as leadership stand in your way from being obedient to a holy God who wants to bless you. If he is the source, put him first. Don't neglect trust in him and don't allow a trust in a man to keep you from being obedient to God. So bottom line is a man should never keep you from being obedient to God. And so don't let me stand in your way. Be obedient, trust him. How do you do that? Like how, there's some of us that are new to church. How, what do you mean by tithe? Like you're literally meaning a 10th. So let me give you an example. Let's just say that you're among the top wealthy people in the world and you make $42,000. If you make $42,000, how do you begin tithing? Here's what you do. You get paid. For some of us in this room, we get paid every two weeks. Every Friday, every other Friday, we get paid. That's 26 times a year we get paid. For others of us, we, we're bi-monthly, meaning you get paid twice a month. That's 24 times. Let's just say you get paid 26 times a year. What does that look like? Well, when you get paid, you're basically going to get off of $42,000. Then you're going to basically write a, ch- a check to the ministry in which you believe in, which I believe is the local church, maybe not here, but another one, and you're going to do a $161.53 check. That's what it is. It's, that's 10%. And you go, God, I'm going to trust you in this. It doesn't make sense on paper, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to do that, okay? Let's just say that you get paid bi-monthly, okay? So it's a couple different paychecks, and it's $175, and that's what it is. You just go, I'm going to trust you in that, okay? Now you go, well, I don't even know how to give. Somebody asked me that last week. I have no idea how to give at Stone Point, which just goes to show you that we don't talk about wealth and money very much. So there's two ways to give. One is you can give online. That's what Kelly and I like to do. And the reason why is because um, I'm kind of busy on Sundays and she's equally as busy as she works in our kids' ministry. And then here's the deal. There are some Sundays that we're going to sleep in. We're going to skip church. And when we do that, guess what? We're going to keep giving. And so we do it online and we recur our giving and that's just the, the best way for us. And then there's some of you in here that you're a lot more spiritual than me and you go, I just don't feel the giving. I don't feel like I'm worshiping God because I don't write a check. Praise the Lord for you. Um, feelings can't always be trusted, okay? They're real, but they're not reliable, okay? Um, and so for those of you that you're, you're more feelers and you like to write a check, that's great. We have what we call offering boxes. There's one in the back of our worship center and there's another one in the foyer. You can just drop your tithe in there. Those are two ways to give. You can give online or you can give through offering boxes, but it's trusting God with what you have. Got me? He's the source of all things. Let's put him first. Secondly, let's be wise. Wise to save money. So save money wisely. What does that look like? Well, here's the deal. The Bible says to stop being a fool. 
Did you just call me a fool? No, I didn't. God did. Okay. Um, and so Proverbs 21, 20 is there's a wisdom test. Here it is. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Wise people save, foolish people don't. Take it for what you like. You may be wise and you may be a fool. I'll tell you, we talk about fools all the time in our house. Parents, bonus. Anytime your child makes a decision that doesn't line up with scriptures, it's an amazing thing. You don't have to demean them. You don't have to call them an idiot. You just go, wow, son, that was really foolish. It's a great Bible term for get it together. Okay, here it is. How do you get it together? You build wealth. Now listen, remember what God has done as the source. He says, put me first and then remember, I'm gonna give you the ability to produce wealth. Wealth is not a mystery, it's good math. You understand? It's not a mystery, it's not rocket science, it's good math. Get out a calculator and you begin to realize how to build wealth. Here's the deal. The reason we don't build wealth here in America is because we're too interested in impressing people we don't know. It's not a money issue. It's not a wealth issue. It's an idolatry issue. It's not just an idolatry issue from what you're receiving from God and not giving back to him. It's an idolatry issue is because you're trying to put people in comparisons as your God. Now you go, you have no proof of that. Yes, I do. And here's why. Two, two reasons. Number one, the average Christian who would claim that God is the source of everything you have, own, and has ever made, you give. On, spreading that across the board, we give two and a half percent of our income. Our churches typically are full of people sitting in seats that 50% of the people that are sitting here at Stone Point today have not given to God any way, a tangible form in the last year through the local church. That's just the reality in America, Okay. And so you go, okay, that, that's kind of crazy, but why? Well, here's why. It's, it's because we're fools. It's because we don't have money. It's not that we don't have money. It's that we spend it on the wrong things. Matter of fact, our personal savings rate, just as, in terms of America compared to other companies, on the top of the list are places like the Philippines and Japan where they're going to save anywhere from a quarter to up to, to times in some months, 50% of what they own. I'm in Mexico a couple times a year. And uh, in Mexico, they, they average $4 a day. That's what they make, $4 a day on average. Their savings rate personally is 20%, almost a dollar out of what they make per day they save. Got it? That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Uh, you get to places like Luxembourg and they save 20%, Sri Lanka, 23% of their personal savings rate. You get to people like France, and the French are saving almost 15% have been doing so for long records of time. You get to the Americans and here's what we save, 3%. Last month it was 1.79%. One of the highest savings rates that we've had in recent history was in 2009 after an incredible crash in the market in 2008. And all of a sudden we panicked and we thought, wow, I probably need to sell this truck and I probably need to start saving some money. And it dipped up to almost 6%. But what I'm saying is, is just by and large, we are fools when it comes to building wealth. Here's what I want you to hear. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you make, you can build wealth. You're like, no, I just don't make enough. Yes, yes you can you can save it. Here's why. You give to God first, you save second, and then what? You live on the rest. Listen, when you trust God with first, you believe him for the best when you do something second and you're no longer full, but you're wise, then you, it teaches contentment and you live on the rest. I recommend a 10, 10, 
80 plan, if you like. I really like more than that. I like a 10, 20, 70. The bottom line is this. When you give to God first, you give that, and we automatically draft it out of our account. So basically what I'm saying is, is we give to God and it comes out. It's coming out weekly, whether we like it or not, and the same is with our savings, and it's going to another savings account. You go, well, I don't know if that works. So let me explain something real quick as I'm quickly going to scurry through these next two things. I was talking to a lady a couple of weeks ago. She came up to me after our third service on the Wills Point campus, and she says, hey, pastor, I don't know if we've ever met. And I said, well, we've met one time, but it's, it's been a while back. She said, well, we're moving here. She said, I was so blessed by your message today. And she said, I just thought I would share a little bit of my story. And so she, we just talked for about 15 minutes, about 10 minutes into the conversation. She tells me that she's a teacher, has, uh, has recently retired. Uh, her husband, um, was kind of an engineer and did some different things in an engineering firm. And uh, she said, we just have lived a meager life and, and just have always just tried to save. And she said, believe it or not, we were getting ready to, to move out uh, to Texas. And she said, and as I was retiring, she said, I looked into the savings account that I had developed over the years from me and my husband. And she said, we realized that we were millionaires. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> That's pretty cool. And she said it happened over time. And she said, all we did is she said, we just automatic drafted it out of our account. And she said, we just never got into it. She said, we just learned to live as content people. And as you looked at her, you just realized that you would never identify her as a millionaire. She wasn't dressed to impress. She wasn't riding in a fancy car. She was just trying to be obedient. And they've uh, recently going to be relocating to this area. And she just said, I was just so blessed by what God's doing here. And I said, well, I'm so blessed that you would take time to share with me that story because I think that the people who do it best, you'll never know. And so I just would say, that's awesome. So how do you do it? How do you build wealth? How do you save? Well, here's the deal. You account for every dollar. I love Proverbs. Look at what it says. Proverbs 3, 23, verse 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. We learned that last week. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. You ever wonder like, where in the world did my money go? Well, it sprouted wings and flew away. That's what the scripture says. <laughs> Man, that Taco Bell was really good the other night. $27 for a family of three. Like, poof, see you gone. That's how Americans, like we're like, I don't know where it went. It flew away. Fly like an eagle. Right, yeah. It just flew away, and that's what it did. Like, it's gone. See you later. Bye-bye. That's what happens. Why? Because we don't know where our money's going, you know? So here's how you do it. You know where your money's going. God, say it with me. Know where your money's going. That's the, you got to know where your money's going. Account for every single dollar. Quit wasting away. Why? God's the source of it all. Trust him first. Save second. And then third, know where your money's going. Account for every single dollar. Proverbs 27, verse 23 and 24 says this, know well the condition of your flocks. Talking to a farming com community. Some of you have flocks, most of us have stocks, okay? So know the condition of your stocks. Give attention to your herds, for the riches do not last forever and does not a crown endure to all generations. Like, we can't take it with us, but while we're here, we can be a steward of it. Know where your money's going, right? So what do you know? What are you trying to learn? Well, here's what you should know, okay? You should know what you profit, okay? You, you should know what you pay out, and you should know the property that you possess. So what you should do, do is this. You should know what you make, you should know what you owe, and you should know what you own, okay? So you know that here's, here's what I made. This is how much I'm going to have at the end of the month. 
Here's my expenses. Oh no, my expenses are more than I made. You have a problem. It's called a personal savings rate problem, okay? The only way that that fixes is for you to either work harder or you to quit spending so much. But either way, you have to account for every dollar in order for you to save. Saving teaches contentment after obedience. So let me ask you this question as I get ready to close. How many in here that by next year you would like to be more wealthy and well-off? Go ahead and raise your hand. Like you go, uh, okay, you hope next year. Go ahead. Some of you are lying, okay? If you're going to lie about money, you're going to lie about other things too, okay? So here we go. <laughs> raise your hand if by next year you hope to have more wealth acquired, okay? Now let me explain something to you. Hope is not a strategy. You have to make conscious effort to put God first. Plan ahead, Okay? Wishing upon a star will not get you very far. <laughs> Got it? So plan ahead. God is the source of all things. Trust him first. Be obedient. Save. Live in contentment. Find what your stuff is. And then last is this. Just commit it all to God. Your problem at the end of the day is a trust issue. Will you trust him? Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. The bottom line is this. If you say, you love God, but your heart is far from him, then you don't love God. And you go, well, how do you know my heart is from him? And here's why, because Jesus says that you can't serve both God and money. And he says, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the greatest competitor to God is not Satan. It's resources and material things. And so will you trust him? Believing that our church doesn't want anything from you, we want more for you. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, I want to talk more about this, help me understand, then I would love to meet you in the Connection Point Center right here and I'd love to visit with you for a second. If you're here and you go, I want to take a step in obedience, well, here's a couple of steps you can take. One, you can start giving something, okay? Give something. Start giving something. $5 is more than what you gave last month, so give something. For some of you, you need to start giving significantly. It means that you need to move to percentage type giving. For some of us, we need to start giving extravagantly. It means that it's not about a tithe. It's about giving God whatever it is that he desires for us to have. If you're here though, and you're like, I'm going to start tithing. It's time. I know it. I've heard it. Had one guy who's 59 years old catch me at the end of the service. He said, I wrote down in my Bible, Malachi chapter three, verse 10 in 1999, that I should start doing these things. Here it is 20 years later, and I haven't kept my commitments. And he apologized for me face to face. And he said, last year, I filled out a card that I would give extravagantly, and I haven't given a dime. And I'm so sorry that I lied to you and I lied to God. I was like, wow. Because see, you're not lying to me. And that's what I said. Praise God for your confession. And praise God for your next step. But I said, I'm not asking for anything for you or from you. All I want is what God wants for you. And so listen, your debts are forgiven in terms of what you said you would do for me. And all I'm asking is you'd be obedient to the next step that God has. And if you're here and you go, I want to be obedient with that, then I, I, I can help connect you up with the church that you can give to if you don't believe this is the one. But if you want to give here, then what I'm going to go on record and say is that I will, I will partner with you officially in a 90-day trip tithe challenge here, meaning that if you want to start tithing for 90 days, if you'll trust God with everything you have, to, okay, at the end of that 90 days, if you don't feel like God blessed you, then we'll give you 100% of the money you invested in the kingdom of God through this church back to you, okay? And so if you want to talk about that, meet me at the connection point, and I'll, I'll take your, your name down. We'll sit down personally. We'll help you get a solid budget plan together, and you're like, well, what if there's 100 of us? Then we'll have 100 different conversations about how we honor God with our wealth, Amen. So let me pray for you. And then uh, we, we may, may we just be blessed uh, to be obedient. 
and trust God well with what he's given us. Amen. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for today and we thank you for the time we've had together. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us and keep us and make your face shine upon us. And I pray that as we leave this place, that we would know where our money's going. And at the end of the day, I pray that we'd be good stewards, that we would trust you first, that we would save second, and that you would teach us contentment by living on the rest. Help us to quit comparing ourselves to other people because when comparison begins, contentment ends. And so Lord, there's so many of us in here that we're trying to please people that we don't even know. And we're trying to impress people and they're not impressed. And so God, may we be impressed upon our hearts simply to impress you. And that's through obedience. So God, would you keep us as we leave this place? In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen.